morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. Um, how you doing on memorizing your verses for this series? First John 4, 7, and 8. Everybody getting them down? Let's say them together. I think we've got a slide up here. We're taking out more words every week. So um, not too hard of a verse, but, or verses, but um, let's say this together, and then we'll take out some words and see if we can do it. All right? You ready? Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. All right, you ready? Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Give, your, give yourselves, that was good, man. Good job. Hey, listen, uh, those bookmarks are still out there. If you don't have one, it's got a reading plan. This series is called Perfect Love. We're going through uh, 1 John and his epistle um, to the church, to believers in the early church in the first century. And so um, we're working our way through that. You can read along with us. There's the memory verse on the back. And then we've got invite cards out there. If you want to invite somebody to come with you, um, that's always a good thing to do. So grab those as you head out. Um, Perfect love. When you've experienced the perfect love of God, you can't stay the same. And so this series, we want you to experience the power of perfect love because we really are changed by the love of God. We really have never experienced anything like it in our lives. We come into this world with a spiritual void because our spirits are dead and withered because of our sin. And when we get introduced to Jesus, uh, when we trust in him and he comes into our lives, he awakens our spirit. Um, It's called in the Bible being born again to be spiritually born. And so our spirits come alive and now we can commune with God spiritually. We live in a physical world, but we're meant to have a relationship with a spiritual God. And so we can have that fellowship with God, which is what 1 John talks a a lot about. And so um, this week, we've been learning about uh, having this fellowship with God and how to have a relationship with God and how important that is. This week, John is gonna warn us against some of the enemies of that relationship. Any relationship over time can fade. It can, it can, uh, we can drift apart. We call it different things. But this week we're going to learn to guard your heart for God. Your heart was meant to commune with God. And again, you have a heart for God. That's why you're here today. But you got to guard it. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a relationship that started off great, but then it faded you know, like I said, we, we talk about falling out of love or um, we grew apart, we drifted apart. I had this happen to me in life uh, very, pretty early on. So I got to experience it and, and uh, get over, you know, the heartbreak of it. But um, when it first happened to me, um, I was entering the sixth grade at Jefferson Elementary. Mr. Collins was my teacher. And I got into class and the sixth graders were the top of the class. We were the oldest kids in the elementary school. We were uh, uh, the king of the hill now, right? We were the oldest kids and we were gonna rule a school. And so um, uh, I'd gone to that school my whole life 
And so by sixth grade, when I got to sixth grade, I was ready for my sixth grade year. Now, I was not a particularly popular person. I wasn't great at sports. I didn't, wasn't great, you know, with school. Um, I had one claim to fame, though, going into sixth grade, and that is I had uh, my best friend, David Darr, was popular, okay? And uh, he was popular for a number of reasons, but he was smart. He did get good grades, but also he was dating Ginger. And so they were a couple, and I mean, in sixth grade, it was a big deal. Now, I remember the first day of school or a couple days of school, I ended up in a conversation with Ginger. And uh, mind you, I wasn't really interested in girls at all. I thought girls had cooties and were gross. Sorry, girls. It's just how I saw it. I didn't have anything to do with girls. I had a brother, younger brother. We did everything together. Our neighborhood kids in our neighborhood were all the boys that we played with. I was on my bike. I was playing sports at recess. I was doing something with the guys, with boys. Like I didn't have any interest in being around girls. I didn't really understand them. And so uh, sixth grade, I end up in a conversation with Ginger. And it was a weird conversation because Ginger had a friend, Heather. And she really wanted Heather to have a boyfriend. And for some reason, I got in her cross eyes, or her crosshairs. And she was thinking I was the right guy to be Heather's boyfriend. Now, again, wasn't particularly interested. I wasn't into whatever, but I listened to this conversation. What's this going to require of me? You know, I found out probably very little. Didn't seem like it was going to mess with my world. And there was a positive. I would probably move to the top of the social order in, in sixth grade. I would become like the power couple of David and Ginger. It'd be John and Heather, right? And so I decided in a moment, this was a great opportunity and I would step into it. And so I did, I agreed. After hearing what would be required, I agreed to it. Now, as I recall, didn't require a lot of me. Like I said, I didn't have to do much during the day. My days looked the same. I could still go play football at recess. I didn't have to hang out with her, fortunately. So, I mean, I was like, all right, this isn't messing with my life too much. It's okay. And uh, she went on vacation with her family to Florida. She brought me back a shark tooth necklace. I mean, that was pretty cool. I get to be the cool kid wearing a necklace, you know, until the chain broke. But I mean, I was cool. Like it moved me into this status and, uh, and things were great. But I remember in the winter, I don't know, we were stuck inside. I wasn't feeling quite right. And I remember thinking as Heather came to school that day, she irritates me. I'm not interested. What? Something's not right. And then she's wearing these ugly boots. Why am I dating? What am I doing? So I made a decision in that moment that the relationship we had had faded. We had grown apart and I was done. And so I broke up with her. Now, this was kind of a big deal in our little sixth grade class. Word spread quickly. And to my surprise, before I knew it, Sean Black was making a move on Heather very quickly. I mean, I had hardly got the words out of my mouth. And he was like, so I thought, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Let me rethink this plan. What's this going to do to me? I decided that the boots weren't such a big deal and I could probably get over stuff. (laughs) To maintain my social status in sixth grade, I reconnected with Heather. I got it fixed. And uh, we were a thing until the end of the year. Hey, listen, uh, I don't know about you, but relationships are tricky and that's a silly one in sixth grade. But unfortunately, some relationships kind of keep working that way. It seems like the relationships we see in Hollywood, they're not much more mature than that. Um, the Bible tells us that, again, we are to have a relationship with God, have fellowship with God. We are really supposed to walk with him and know him. It is not just about having a, a book full of rules. 
that we have to follow. That's not what this book is even for. Okay, the rules in it, there's guidelines in it, but that's not the point. The point of the word of God is that we can talk to God. We can experience God through his word. We're really meant for a relationship with God. And that is what John is talking about in this epistle, that God's intention was to have a relationship with us. And when he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, remember, he came and walked with them. He talked to them. They got to spend time with God. But then they listened to their own desires and to the temptation of the devil. And they stepped away from that relationship into disobedience. And that broke the relationship. It severed it so that they had to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And they were banished into a world where they knew about God, but they didn't get to know him. And so, of course, the good news that the Bible presents is that God moved to fix the problem. And so Jesus came to the earth to reconnect with us, to help us reconnect to God. And so in and through Jesus, we can know God again. We can walk with him. We can talk to him. We can experience him as we go through this life. And so that is the key. This relationship, though, is not easy. If you have met Jesus, you know that when you met him, it was, in, it was a, a whirlwind. Um, it, you were sucked into uh, just a powerful relationship. You were consumed with the presence of God, his power and, and who he was. And you wanted to be in his word and you wanted everything you could do. You wanted to be around him all the time. You wanted to be in church every minute you could. You wanted to be around anything having to do with Jesus. You wanted to be there because you just wanted to soak that in. But like any relationship, that will not sustain you the rest of your life. You're not going to stay in that mode. There has to be a movement of maturity, right, to where you actually know and have commitments and build things into your life that will ensure that that relationship stays strong. And so John is going to tell us in 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15 today, that we need to guard that relationship. If it's going to last, and if we're going to get to the end of our lives and finish this race that the Bible calls it well, where we've followed Jesus to the end, then we need to guard this relationship. We're going to have to be aware that there are temptations and pressures in the world we live in that will pull us away from God, that will distract us from that relationship. You know, once we've trusted Christ, it is my conviction, the scriptures teach, that the devil cannot get you after you've trusted in Christ. He cannot get you um, into hell. But what he can do is he can distract you he can pull you away from fellowship with God so that your fire is weak and your life and commitment to Jesus isn't passionate and you live what the Bible, I think, calls a carnal Christian life where really your life looks like a non-Christian, but you have trusted in Christ. This is not how God wants us to live. This isn't why Jesus came to just give you a ticket to eternity. Like I said before, he wants to walk with us through this life. He wants to empower us and change us and turn us into those people that he really designed us to be. And so the first thing we're going to see in this passage that the apostle is going to deal with is the first temptation that we have, the first distraction that we have is the physical world we live in. Again, we're born into a physical world. God created us, physical beings in a physical world. And that physical world has a lot of pull on us. And the physical world is 
what we exist in. Again, God created the physical world and put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to enjoy it, to work it, right? Um, to gain everything they needed from it. And we have physical needs. The problem is that when we look to the physical world to fulfill us in our spiritual needs, in the spiritual part of our lives, it can't do that. And so it turns into um, cravings and addictions that we pursue to try to meet the need that we have deep in our souls. And that is a need for the healing that only God can give us in a relationship with him. And so this first temptation that the apostle is going to point to in 1 John chapter 2, we need to guard against some things in this, in this life if we're going to stay in fellowship with God. And the first one is we need to guard against lusting for the world. Let's start reading 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, and we'll read through verse 17. He says this, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for spiritual pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Cravings. Chasing after this world. Again, key words here are love the world. That means your affection, your heart, what you desire, right? is directed at the things of this world. doesn't mean that you don't have the things in this world. You don't interact with them. Again, we live in a physical world and we're supposed to. But, but we get something mixed up when we shift from a healthy view of life and people to an unhealthy one. God created us. Again, put us in this physical world. And so what he wants us to do is love people, which he created in his image. We're supposed to love people and use things. But when we get it switched around and we begin living according to our sin nature, we begin living for the world, we fall in love with the world, we do a crazy thing. We love things and we use people. And it's the opposite. And it, it, it angers God when we live that way because we're hurting what he cares about and loves the most, which is people. But we can get it switched around. Cravings is a deep desire it's deep within us. It's a desire to fill a need that we have. Again, it's a spiritual need. It's something only God can fulfill, but we get a craving for it. And, the, and John talks about three different categories. The first one is a craving for things that make us feel good. A craving for um, um, the, 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 whether it's dopamine or, I'm not good with all the chemicals, but right? The things that make us feel good which again, God put in this world for us to enjoy. But when we love this world, we begin to pursue those things, trying to meet a need. It becomes a craving that we're trying to fill. Physical pleasure. Anything that gives pleasure to your physical body. This could be food. We need food to live, but at times we can start to use food to feel good, to overcome, right? The struggles we have, the deficiency we feel. How about sex? Sex was meant to feel good. In fact, God created it in a lot of ways for pleasure. 
And yet it can become something that when we are deficient inside, we begin to look to it or can look to it to fill our lives and to make us feel fulfilled and make us feel good. How about risk-taking? Adrenaline junkies, right? I've been there. I go for that excitement, that high. I gotta do something exciting. And that's because we're looking for that pleasure, that, that response in our bodies to make us feel good. Again, we can enjoy stuff in this world, but do we love it and are we looking for it to fill the deep needs in our heart. How about flirting? Just flirting with people, it's harmless. I'm not having an affair, but maybe I'm crossing the line. I'm in a committed relationship. I'm looking for something from this person that I should be finding in my marriage. How about becoming a workaholic, looking to my career to satisfy me, to fill me, to make me feel complete and fulfilled. And I begin to work, 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 work. And, and I, I go overboard on it because I'm looking for it to meet the need in my soul. Building wealth or acquiring things. We can go after that stuff. Again, it's not, there's nothing wrong with having things, having toys. They can be enjoyable. But where do they fall into your life? Competition can fill this need, the need to win, right? Gambling, I've got I've to have some excitement. I've got to be competing all the time. I've got to win. That, again, is nothing wrong with it. But is it cross that line where I'm in love with the world and so it's a craving I'm trying to meet? Gossip talking about people, hearing about, you know, the latest, what's going on. Again, nothing wrong with getting the news, keeping up with people, what's going on in the community. That's fine, but I can cross the line where now it's a craving that I'm trying to fulfill deep in my being. A lot of times you're the only one that knows. What are you doing? How are you interacting with these things? Next, he talks about a craving for everything we see. A gateway into our lives is through our eyes. And so we can begin to look at stuff and that becomes a pleasure point or a way in which we fulfill ourselves and we're looking for the things we look at to meet a deep need in our lives. And so of course, pornography is one of those gateways in that a lot of us are interacting with and it's, it's, um, it's not the correct view of sexuality. And so it's a warped um, view that ends up damaging us but it can be a gateway. Of course, it's coming through our eyes, craving for the things we see. I think social media fits into this. I know nobody wants to hear social media is bad. We all interact with it, or a lot of us do, but I think we need to be cautious about it. It can be a gateway into our lives, and if we're struggling, if we're deficient, we can begin to look at it in the wrong way and utilize it in the wrong way. When Facebook first came out, my generation, Gen X, had a bunch of divorces over it. Because we started to see a high school girlfriend, a sixth grade girlfriend. Oh, go back to that time in our lives. Think how amazing that was. My marriage isn't great. My spouse is horrible. I want out of this. It caused all kinds of problems. And now, um, now Snapchat's doing that. Same thing. It's an opportunity that when we're struggling to be tempted. And, and for many of us, it's just too much. And so I think we've got to be careful with that. It's a gateway into our eyes and we can begin to crave for things. Again, when we're, our relationship with God is not strong. How about gaming? Sorry, I'm stepping on toes this morning. How about gaming? Uh, recently heard that um, there are games that can produce in, uh, in our human mind the um, dopamine response or release that's three times more powerful than an orgasm. All right, games. Computer games. Again, nothing wrong with playing computer games. I'm not down on them. I'm not saying you can't do them. That's not my job. I'm just saying what place 
do they play in your lives? Are you craving for them? This is what John is warning about. How, how about pride in our achievements and possessions? We're looking for our identity to be filled and defined by what we have, the degrees we have, what we've accomplished. Again, nothing wrong with accomplishing. I want to accomplish a lot. I'm very driven. I try to strive in my life to accomplish more. But why am I doing that? And is it, is it coming from this love with the world? I'm looking for the needs of my soul and my spirit to be met in the physical world. John says he can't do it. And the Bible warns about it. The Ten Commandments were given in the Old Testament. And they taught God's people not to lust after things. Because if they lust after things, it would keep their heart from loving God. And so it's something we've got to be careful of and look for. Jesus, when he was here, he taught the people that they had deep needs, that their spirit needed to be connected to God, that they had issues with life and feeling alive and being alive. And he said things like in John 4, I'm living water. I can give you living water. If you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. In fact, you'll have a spring of life inside of you. In John 6, he said, I'm the bread of life. I can give you nourishment for your soul and your spirit that you can't get anywhere else. The physical world cannot meet the needs of your soul. Okay, only God can. And you were meant to have a relationship with God, to have fellowship with him. And when you do, and when you walk in that relationship, the deepest needs of your spirit and of your being can be fulfilled. In the greatest commandment, Jesus said, was asked what the greatest commandment is. And he said, remember, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Your heart's your emotions, your feelings. Your, your soul is your psyche, your personality. Your mind's your intellect. And, and Jesus said, and of course God said in the Old Testament, aim yourself at God, pursue him with everything you have. I have a friend um, here who I've been discipling, working with, and he uh, used to drink a lot. And he said, you know, when I was drinking, my whole life was oriented around it. I knew where every, every opportunity was, where happy hour was, everywhere. I knew how to get it. I knew how to make sure I had it. It was a craving I had, and it, my life was oriented around it. He said, everything I did, I worked hard. I thought about it all the time. I planned my life around it. I had everything worked out. He said, now I've trusted in Jesus. I'm moving away from that. But I don't find that I always put all of my effort and energy towards having a relationship with God and growing that. It's like I was so willing to do it over here. Why do I struggle over here? And I just think it's the truth of our lives. That physical craving that turns into an addiction and in America, I think we're all addicts all the time. We pursue everything to excess. Everything's put in front of us and we have so much. It's hard for us. So we've got to guard against this and be aware of the temptation that's there and the power in it to pull us away from that relationship that God wants to have us uh, with us. Really what we need in this life to walk with him and to become the people that he created us to be. Well, the next thing that we see in this passage that John deals with is another issue that is prevalent for us today, but it has been prevalent since uh, Jesus walked the earth. And that was the issue of false teaching. People who tell us things that aren't true and try to pull us away from the truth of Jesus and the truth of scripture. And so the next thing that we need to guard against in this passage, we need to guard against believing 
what John calls the Antichrist. Let's read verses 18 through 25 of 1 John chapter 2. Dear children, the last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, that is the antichrists, the ones who are teaching false teachings. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you his spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, Not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John warns against the Antichrist. Now, um, we see in our time war in Israel, right? Um, Israel's being attacked. What's going on? And you hear a bunch of Bible teachers and people uh, take that opportunity. Something's going on and they start talking about it. How do you interpret it? What, what are the, how do we understand this? Is there fulfillment of prophecy happening? Is this written about in the Bible? And it's all good because we're meant to examine the scriptures and anything that gets us or our culture asking, you know, what's going on here? And thinking about God and spiritual things is good. But the truth is, the scriptures teach us that just like John is saying here, he said, you've heard about the Antichrist. There is a figure that's going to show up in history who will be the Antichrist. And I believe that um, he has written about a number of places in scripture, but one of them is Revelation chapter 13, where a character who's referred to as the beast shows up and pulls the world to himself, away from God and to himself. And so what are some of the traits of the Antichrist? And we can, we can look at that. The question is, is the Antichrist on the earth? Well, you know, what's, what's going on? I mean, what's happening in Israel now, to me, is similar to what has happened over the history of the world, where there is war, there are rumors of war. Um, Jesus indicated after he left the earth, that we were in the end times. So we've been in the end times for 2,000 years. And these things have been happening over the course of time. In 70 AD, Rome destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, right? So there's been issues and things happen uh, since Jesus left the earth. And so what's happening now, to me, looks pretty similar. But it could be the beginning of the end, all right? It could be the beginning of the end times, which in Revelation... And even in Daniel 7, um, you know, there's different ideas of the order of things. But in my view, the next thing that will happen is the rapture, where Christians will be caught up in the air. um, As uh, uh, 1 Corinthians talks about, 2 Thessalonians talks about, we'll be caught up in the air to uh, to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, and there'll be a transformation of our physical bodies into an earthly body. And I think the next thing that happens is the great tribulation, right? And after that, the second coming of Christ. And of course, there's different views. People have different views on that, but that's my view. And so I'm looking, right, not necessarily for things to happen on this earth, 
Because the next big thing that follows biblical prophecy, I think, is going to be the great tribulation. Which again, I'm hopeful that we're not going to be here for. Because you don't want to be here for the great tribulation. It's going to be unlike anything that's ever happened on the earth. However, I might be wrong. And we might be here for that. So then we're looking for a character who is the Antichrist. Here's some characteristics of the Antichrist. He's intelligent from Revelation 13 and Daniel 7. A charismatic speaker from Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. A crafty politician from Daniel 9 and Revelation 17. A distinct as a distinct physical appearance from Daniel 7. Is a military genius from Revelation 4, 17 and 19. He's an economic genius from Daniel 11. He's a blasphemer from Revelation 13. Utterly lawless from 2 Thessalonians 2. Selfish, ambition, uh, ambitious, and egomaniac from Daniel 11 and 2 Thessalonians 2. He's greedy and materialistic from Daniel 11. He's controlling from Daniel 7. Proud and self-exalting above God and above everything from Daniel 11 and 2 Thessalonians 2. So certainly could be looking for that character to rise onto the scene. But then John shifts and says, there are many antichrists that have walked the earth and we've experienced. And some of them used to be part of us, but they left and they're now teaching and instructing people in lies. And so that kind of thing, of course, still happens. And there are those false teachers, people that are teaching things that are not true. And of course, he says the easy way to tell a clear definition or understanding of one of those false teachers is what they do with Jesus. And you'll notice that the, the religions that we call cults, they do something different with Jesus than what the Bible teaches, okay? And I'm not picking on anybody, but I grew up with a Mormon connection. My mom grew up in Mormonism, so I know a lot about Mormonism. My family came from that religion, and they change who Jesus is. They do not present what's in the Bible. I've heard a lot of people say, man, Mormons are such good people. They're, oh, they're, they're tempted to go be a part of them. In fact, they say they convert a Baptist church every month into Mormonism from Christianity because Christians don't know what they believe. They don't know what the Bible says. And so this is a challenge to us to know what the Bible says about Jesus specifically. Because the Mormons say Jesus is not God, he's a God. And you, men at least in the room, could be a God too, just like Jesus. If you follow what the church says, you do all the right things, you could have your own world in the next life, populated with a bunch of women that you will keep eternally pregnant. I mean, this is what they teach, all right? We don't always know that, and we're around Mormons, and I love Mormons, are some of the best people in the world. I still have family members that are passing away that are Mormons, and they grew up in that church, and man, what they say at their funeral sounds wonderful, but what they say about Jesus is not correct. Can you tell an antichrist? Can you tell false teaching? I think one of the most damaging false teachings in our day comes out of postmodernism, and uh, throughout my life, this idea of postmodernism being a philosophy that people are trying to move us into to influence our culture has been pretty strong. Don't glaze your eyes over. I'm going to make this relevant, all right? Because it's affecting you. It's affecting you. I know it's big, heady, educated stuff, but it's affecting you because you're being affected by what the people that think and what they pass down, it ends up getting to us in our world. And so Jacques Derrida, who's a 
French philosopher came up with this concept of deconstructionism. And he said deconstructionism, in his mind, was used to tear down the foundational pillars of Western civilization. Western civilization, mind you, is primarily influenced by Jesus. And so guess what the goal is? Knock apart those pillars of our culture so that we don't have to live with the morality that comes from Jesus. And that's, of course, the devil's work. But deconstructionism has found its way into the church where Christian young people are being handed books by smart-sounding individuals who deconstruct the Christian faith. And they're being told Christianity is all, it's gotten so warped, it's out of control, it isn't reflect what Jesus really wanted, so you need to deconstruct it, which might sound okay in some ways. But, um, but the problem is not everyone who goes through the deconstruction of their faith trying to figure out what does the Bible say versus what I grew up in, not all of those individuals are doing it with Jesus and through a relationship with Jesus. And so then it just becomes tearing down what you believe, the rules that you live by, the guidance that you have in your life so that you can do anything and you can do whatever you want. And, and that isn't producing good fruit for us or our young people as they go off to college. And so there's a warning against it. The results of it, which we can see all around us as our culture has gotten rid of the morality and the guidance that come through the scriptures, we're not getting better we're not doing better. We're getting hurt more. Um, we've got a staff member whose spouse works with a young lady who came out of high school, young person, and a young man pursued her and started a relationship with her, and she was drawn into it and thought he loved her. And they dated and started living together physically, uh, sexually active for seven years. And she finds out one day that he had been cheating on her for the entire time. She's devastated, crushed, and destroyed. And there's one guidance in the scriptures that could have protected her from that kind of pain and destruction. And that was when God said in the Old Testament, I'm talking about old stuff, don't commit adultery. Don't sleep with somebody outside of marriage. Wait until you're married. And guess what that does for you? It gives you the ability to evaluate a person. What's their character? What are they really like? When you get sexually involved, the chemicals get involved and you can't see clearly. And so honestly, it's old fashioned. And our young people think, ah, that's so old-fashioned. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody waits till they get married. <laughs> I mean, it may be true, but it's not helping us find better relationships and marriages. It's not. Let's be honest. God's word isn't there, again, just a list of rules we check off, but it's a relationship with God who loves us, trying to help us. And we need to be open to him. The antidote of the Antichrist the temptation to believe people that would pull us off of our beliefs, off of our uh, standards, off of our morality, which is there to help us and guide us, is that we end up getting hurt. And so the antidote to that is don't let anyone talk you out of what you believe. <laughs> I mean, would you let somebody talk you out of uh, uh, the marriage that you're in or the relationship you're in? You love this person. If somebody come in and talk you out of that. So why would you let somebody talk you out of your relationship with Jesus? And convince you that it isn't real and he's really not good. You know that he is. Be stubborn. <laughs> Don't just listen to anybody that has fancy talk, sounds really intelligent. Some of the smartest people in the world are some of the dumbest people. Yes, I just said that. <laughs> like, come on, man. Don't just listen to anybody. Discern. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Walk with God. 
You're gonna make a decision, ruin your life, not make it better. God will guide you with love. He will guide you with wisdom and truth. And so be careful, guard against it. The last thing we see in this passage we're to guard against is we gotta guard our fellowship with Jesus. That is the relationship. Let's read the last few verses, 26 and 27. I'm writing these things to warn you. Or let me see, are we starting? Yeah. I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you'll be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. God loves you. He's a good shepherd and he's trying to guide you through life. Trust him. And you don't have to turn off your brain. If you've got questions and doubts and you're a young person, it's okay. It's okay to deconstruct a little bit. Look into it. What do I believe? What's the Bible really say? All that stuff's really good and it's got to happen. But do it with Jesus. Do it with him. Allow him to guide you and help you. Don't do it without him. We've got an artist coming here, Lecrae. He can do a concert here. And when we first heard about it, we were a little concerned because Lecrae had gone, we had heard it gone off a little bit, left the faith perhaps. And so um, we wanted to know. And so first we said no to the concert because we weren't sure about where he was at. Is he going to lead our young people in the right direction? So we said no. And the, the, uh, the group that it's behind him called Pastor Ken again. Hey, is there anything we can do? Could we talk about so? Maybe if we talk to Lecrae, we can get this sorted out. So sure enough, he gets on a Zoom call. We're talking to Lecrae, but asking him, where are you at? Where are you at with Jesus? And he admitted. He went through a deconstruction phase, but he did it without God. He's like, I've come back from that and I'm following Jesus and I'm following the same things I, I did before. But he said, that wasn't a good time in my life. It was damaging. I got into some sin issues. It always leads to that. And so um, it's, it's important that we guard our fellowship with God. Again, Jesus is the one who loves you. In the beginning, our feelings are strong for him, but they fade. And if we don't take steps to ensure our relationship with him continues, it will fade and it'll fall apart. And pretty soon we won't be connected to him. We won't be walking with him. And so Jesus created the church to protect us, to help us walk with him. And the church is there to support, to reinforce, to provide accountability and encouragement and the places where we, we can be transparent when we're struggling and we can get that support that we need. I don't know any person who has walked with God on their own, isolated from people, that ends up becoming a mature Christian that's effective in their spiritual walk. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> We're created for fellowship. We're created to be around other people. And so God created the church. And so here at Mitchell Berean, yes, I want you to get involved. We're making a change to our weekend services to try to facilitate more involvement so you can grow more. And so we've had a Saturday night service. And we're going we're gonna to transition away from that. And we're going to have Sunday services. Our Sunday schedule is going to be what it is now. 8 o'clock service, 9.30 to 10.30 discipleship hour, and then 11 o'clock service. And what we're trying to encourage is what we already see happening. So we're responding to what we see happening, which is more people getting involved 
in that 9.30 to 10.30 hour. Taking some classes, learning some more so that their knowledge grows. And then we want to apply that knowledge, put it into practice. And so one of the ways to do that is serve on a ministry team. Then you begin to get the experience of serving and being around other people and living this out. And that's what we want to encourage. And so we're still going to have Mitchell Breen University on Saturday nights. We'll still probably have a little worship. We'll still probably, we'll have children's options. Okay, so if Saturday night's the only time you can come, you still come. Pastor Luke's a good teacher. It's going to be interactive. There'll be some fellowship, some sharing, some praise time. It's going to be good. We're not just pulling the rug out. But we want to encourage you, our church, to grow. And we believe Jesus has given us this command, and we're kind of not satisfied with our church in America and how we've grown the people that come to our churches. We think we've kind of missed the boat. We've kind of settled for just come for one hour a week, maybe come one hour every six weeks or four weeks, and that'll be enough. Can I just tell you, I don't think that's working. I don't think it's working. I think COVID shows us it's not working. We have the same issues as the world around us. We're not really living in fellowship with God. We're not living in victory. We don't have that power that we need that only comes by spending time with God. And that only comes as you spend time with God's people. And so I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm trying to guilt you. We're all busy. I'm just asking you to consider Is it really working what we've been doing? And maybe taking a step to being a little more involved, taking one of those classes, you know, on Sunday mornings at 9.30, coming an extra hour. I mean, if you think about your whole week, one extra hour is not the end of the world. It's more of a mental thing than it actually is your schedule. But giving a little bit more there is going to grow you a little bit more. It, It just will, I promise. The investment will pay off. We have good teachers. We have good stuff here. We're not just asking you to check boxes, you know. It's it's to invest in things that will help you. But our job as a church is to help you grow to maturity. And here's the measure of mature believers. That you're reproducing yourself. That you're making disciples. That's what mature believers do. And we want to help you grow to be able to do that. And so, you know, we have the, even a life group option on Thursday nights at 6 o'clock upstairs. Pastor Ken and his wife, Christina, are leading that. We have CR Wednesday nights. It's a great opportunity to get some connection and support and help. We've got the 12 steps that are just starting that'll help you get some deeper healing. We have pastors here who are willing to counsel, spend some time with you, not in judgment, but just helping you see the truth of God's word, maybe where you're at, how you can start moving. Guys, listen, the Christian life is not a stagnant thing. You don't check a box, I prayed and I'm going to heaven and then see you, Jesus, <laughs> see you in heaven. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is all about change. And change is one of the hardest things to do. As humans, we resist it. But I'm telling you, we need it. And God wants to change you for the good so that you can be a part of his work. You can make a difference in the world. You know, I believe we're in a time of harvest where people are looking for answers. We're all struggling. Are you able to help? Are you able to be the salt and light that Jesus called us to be? You can step in that moment and help somebody move across that line to trust in Christ, find life in him. All we want to do as a church is help you grow. It's not about us. It's not about having bigger things. It's about helping you grow to become a mature believer. That's the charge that Jesus put on us as a church. That's the call that you have if you're a disciple. And so I just want to encourage you, consider that. Pray about it. Say, God, what what would you want me to do? Is there a step I need to take to just grow a little bit more, right? You don't have to get there tomorrow. It's one step at a time. And wherever you're at, we love you. 
We care for you. I'm not a, trying to twist your arm, right? But I'm trying to do the gentle nudge that God has more for you. He has more, and I want you to experience it. God, thanks for loving us. Thank you for calling us. You've done everything for us. We live in a world and it's full of pressures, pulls. It's full of hurts, disappointments. It's full of pain. But you have come to give us life, to revive us and restore us, to set us straight and to put us on a path that you intended for us, which is a a good path where we can experience the fullness of this life. I pray that for each person here. God, for the person here who's struggling in pain, wanting to walk away, I pray that your gentle, loving voice will call them back. For the person here who's not yet put their trust in you, start to follow you, I pray that you'd introduce yourself to them. Would you meet them where they're at, Jesus? And show them who you are and that you love them and you care about them. I pray for them the courage and the willingness to open their life to you. Help us, Father, not to lust after the world. Not listen to false teachers, but to guard our relationship with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.